And welcome back in Stripe Show podcast on a Monday. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little, uh, I'm a little tired um, as I was up at, uh, up until 1am. That's how the Seahawks do it to me. Third primetime game. And uh, it always goes to the last play. And this time, well, they just couldn't, they just couldn't get it done as they got their first loss. Arizona Cardinals got them by field goals. Last play of the game in overtime. Well, we'll talk about that perhaps a little bit later in the show. So much going on. Had a great day in the cave watching not only football all day, but uh, of course we had the golf on the Zozo championship won by Patrick Cantlay. Big yawn for me, but talk about Patrick. He's a good guy. Jamie Mulgan is coach. Good friend of mine. Love them. Just not the most exciting player in the world. Of course, LA Dodgers now up three to two in the world series. So much happening here as we move into November, the masters now just a couple weeks away. So I got to thinking, you know, I need kind of a, jack of all trades here someone that can come on and talk anything and everything about sports they call him jack of all trades jeff eisenman and he joins me now here on the stripe show podcast up in new york city where it feels like fall but no snow yet is that right welcome in jeff no snow yet we won't have that yet but yeah it's definitely feeling like fall it's past just your quarter zip golf weather right now it's, okay you, you got to get that one extra heavier jacket that that you got at a special event that you said you know i probably won't even use this for golf it's more of when it gets cold out now you got to wear that on the course yeah i like that though i like putting the jacket on in the morning and and going out my parents are here from northern idaho they've been spending the last week here and um, it's been 85 in florida humid feels like the end of august actually got burnt on saturday and they're going back to nine inches of snow overnight in northern Idaho. So we got all kinds of stuff going across the United States. And Jeff, as I mentioned, you're, you kind of do a little bit of everything across all the sports. Uh, you've done some work with the PGA Tour, golf.com, Top Golf, DraftKings, NBA, NBA 2K. So this is going to be fun to kind of pick your brain. And I know you do a trivia show as well, which we're going to get to. I've got some great trivia questions that I want to ask uh, you, but I want to uh, start with the Zozo Championship. Can't lay. He walked away. With the Dyson fan trophy uh, after JT and Rom were both close coming down the stretch. If you could pick one thing from the Zozo out there in Sherwood, what would your biggest takeaway be from the weekend that was out in California? What I keep thinking about is Justin Thomas needs to finish. You know, uh, I think we still have the work day on our mind from a few months ago where he let Colin Morikawa come right back in it. And it just felt like when Cantlay took that bogey on the par 5 16th, And at that point, I guess JT still hadn't teed off on 15 on the par three. You were just thinking, all right, he's, you know, can't lay slipping. JT's got this in the bag. Maybe John Rahm can sneak in there. And then he just played two bad holes on 15 and 16 coming down the back stretch. And so, you know, you wanted to start talking about a guy like JT as being one of, he's been so consistent over the last three, four years, one of the great players in the game. But why is it that there are these few slip ups, you know, and should he have more than one major the way with the consistency that he's played, uh, you know, the last few years. And I think there's going to be in this, what we, you know, we have five majors coming up um, in a shorter period of time. There's going to be an opportunity because he's in his prime right now um, and he's got to, you know, make things work. When Justin Thomas is sleeping on the lead on Saturday night, he's got to finish on Sunday. 
Yeah, those are fair points. You know, Justin, you know, he's put some events away, but he has certainly um, has let some slip by as well. That part three, he didn't feel comfortable at all with his caddy, Jimmy Johnson. They were going back and forth, but he just could not pull the trigger. And it looked like he talked him into hitting, it appeared to be the nine iron to, to really just, you know, hit it full. And as soon as he hit it, he said, get up. And of course, you know, an eight iron into the middle of the green would have been the play there, but it makes bogey. And then it's the second shot on the par five that he follows it up with. I mean, that was just a huge miss off to the right to go into the hazard. He has to scramble to make par. He ends up one shot short. So it's going to be, you know, the criticism I think is fair because it's not the first time for JT down the stretch, although he has had his share of wins, 13 PGA Tour wins. He's got the one major championship. And as we look ahead now to the next one, the Masters, his track record there, I think he's got four starts. That He's consistently has gotten better there. His best finish, I believe, is around 12th. So what kind of chance to give JT, say, heading into to get his first green jacket in a couple of weeks? You know, you still got to put him in, I, I would say, the top five odds of players, but as you mentioned there, Augusta, it feels like is such a, a player's course in terms of there are some guys who just know exactly what to do there. And I don't think JT's cracked the code yet. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have the talent to do it. It just means that, um, I mean, Tiger being a great example of what he did in 2019, that you can have a guy who looks one way at other courses and shows up at Augusta and goes full Fred Couples knowing how to navigate that course. So I think that I would, uh, maybe I'll swallow my words in a few weeks, but I think I'd put Justin Thomas behind a few other guys who we know have been able to navigate the course and have, you know, like I said, kind of unlock that code. I mean, I'm not saying I'm putting Jordan Spieth ahead of Justin Thomas, but when you look at a guy like, like even speed playing is worst. It feels like he just feels at home at Augusta national. There are some guys like on Cabrera that can just show up and play that course. So, you know, JT still got to figure it out there. Yeah, man. I don't know if I would be putting speed ahead of JT. That's no, a- I'm not, I'm not saying that, yet, but you know what I'm saying? That, <laughs> yeah. that there, are, there are guys like, you know, I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head guys who like, even like, a, I'm, and I'm not saying I'm putting Charles Schwartzel ahead of him, but there are some guys that play above, their pay grade when it comes to Augusta because they just, they've just figured it out. Yeah. Uh, And then there are some guys that still need to figure it out a little bit more. And I just, like you said, four starts, JT, no top tens, as well as he's been in those years, he's played a little below where you'd expect him to play at Augusta. Yeah. There's, there's certainly a code for sure at Augusta and he seems to be getting closer. If he can continue to do what he's been doing, I, I certainly think he can crack that top 10, maybe have a chance to win. Two guys that know a thing or two about green jackets, Tiger Woods, he has five of them. Phil Mickelson has three. And uh, they were paired up at Sherwood, which uh, is a facility that Tiger Woods knows a thing or two about. But, you know, I look at these two guys and neither one of them. Now, Phil, of course, has had some success on PGA Tour champions and going out there and having his way with some of the more experienced guys, if you will. But he comes back to the tour and he keeps telling everybody, I'm playing great golf. And we see the wins, of course, out there. But he tees it up at the Zozo. And Jeff, when I say this guy is hitting it everywhere off the tee, he's hitting it everywhere off the tee. He lost 14.8 strokes tee to green at the Zozo, finished 76. He lost 
five and a half strokes in the approach game. And this has been going on for a while now. 71st at the PGA. Of course, he missed the chart at the, missed the cut at Northern. 44th at Safeway, a place that he's played well in the past. Missed the cut at the U.S. Open. Of course, he's always played U.S. Opens well. I don't know. I mean, Phil's just everywhere off the tee. And then you look at Tiger, you know, he hasn't played a lot, but he too is struggling in just about every phase of his game, particularly off the tee, losing seven strokes uh, at Zozo, finishing 72nd. What do you you make of this Tiger-Phil act right now as they kind of reach the last phase of their career and what kind of chance do you give them here in a couple of weeks to, to capture maybe another green jacket and strike gold for a week? Well, I think, you know, there are two different cases. First with Phil, the way that Phil at age 50 is still insistent on, I'm going to play my way. You know, it's, it's the most stubborn. I think we've seen a golfer play, you know, perhaps ever the fact that he refuses to embrace his age. You know, he says he's going to keep playing on the tour as long as he can hit bombs. But I think he has to recognize just what his strengths are. And he's not the same player off the tee, as you mentioned. He's not the same player with the three wood in his hand as he once was. And maybe it's, there were so many par fives this week, maybe it's laying up more often than you used to fill and trusting that wedge that you can still hit. He had one shot down the stretch. I don't know if it was 16 or 18 I think it was, I think, I feel like it was 15 or 16, must've been 16 that he played a wedge on a par five, um, you know, right next to the hole. And when they were showing that group, I, oh, excuse me, they were on the front nine. So it was, uh, it was probably one of those holes in the front, but it was, and Tiger, I remember they, you know, it was uh, Phil tapped in for birdie and Tiger's putting for par. And I'm just thinking Phil can still be one of the, the best players in the world from 130 out. If the tour was on par three courses, Phil might still be able to compete. It's just about short game. Phil can still keep going. And I think he just has to play to those strengths and realize that he's got to trust rather than put himself in trouble. He's got to trust those wedges. And then in terms of Tiger, I honestly think Tiger has to play more. And I know his body has taken such heat, but it just feels like he's so inconsistent. And, you know, you think back to 2018 and early 2019 when tiger was playing his best it's when he was consistent you know he had that run in 2018 uh with the valspar and the arnold palmer and he had played in the honda and when he came back it just felt like he developed a rhythm and right now he's not developing a rhythm he's playing every what five weeks it feels like and that's just you know it's difficult to do and maybe it's going to be that he just has to get through this calendar year you know maybe he's going to play the masters he's going to take some time off and he's going to come back to his normal spot at Torrey Pines next year and develop more of a rhythm that COVID threw him, threw him off of. But that, you know, I think it has to be, if Tiger's going to win, it's got to be one of these playing three times in four weeks. And maybe he wins that third time. It's boy, it's hard to, to bet against the guy, right? Like you're, it's hard to say Tiger's got no chance at the masters based off of how he's proven basically everybody wrong. Um, and coming back from all the surgeries but it just hadn't been pretty at all uh, this year. Probably going to be chilly in Augusta. We'll see. I hope he plays in Houston. I think if the body's right, he needs it. He needs to get reps. He needs to get out there and develop, get the sweat on a little bit. And um, we'll, we'll have to see uh, what happens. But uh, the Zozo, right. it was... Can, uh, I, can yeah, I make one, one bold prediction about Phil Mickelson? Do it. He will win either this, <laughs> this uh, winter season or next year. 
he'll win one of those tournaments, whether it be Pebble Beach, whether he shows up at the Waste Management, whether it be the uh, the Desert or I guess the American Express now, he'll win one of those courses that he just knows like the back of his hand. And that'll, you know, that'll add those those uh, those opportunities. I know that doesn't get him into the U.S. Open, but that'll add some more, I think, um, leverage on his PGA Tour career, which he sort of seems insistent on saying he won't take any gifts to be in the U.S. Open or anything <laughs> like that. But I think he steals one of those events. It keeps him going for another three to five years. Yeah, I love the relevancy of Phil. I love Twitter Phil. I love this 50-year-old version of Phil. Of course, Tiger is the needle, but I need Phil a little bit longer here as well. Relevant on the PGA Tour. Two guys that didn't play, Bryson DeChambeau. Of course, he's been the talk of golf and what he's done. I had his trainer on last week, Greg Roscoff, who was behind this retooling of Bryson's body. It was fascinating to listen to how they went about it. Uh, Brooks Kepka, of course, he's always putting things out there. He's another one of those guys that to show his physique off. You see that video posted him doing curls. You know, he said, I think he said, yeah, quote, I, I, curls I, for the I, girls. You impressed? I will basically an open thirst trap and Jenna Sims, his girlfriend, you know, has the first comment on it. I think that he knows his brand and he's leaning into it. Yeah. A lot of people have been asking me about Bryson and, and I'm like, you know, these guys like Brooks, DJ, Tony, going back to Tiger, the fitness has been a thing on the PGA tour. It just hasn't been this micro-targeted sort of fitness that Bryson's doing right now. That's true. I mean, I think back when I was younger and even getting into coaching, it was like, you can't get bigger. You know, don't get bigger, you know, in certain areas of your body because that's not good for your golf swing. Well, you look at Brooks, you look at Bryson. These guys are, these guys are big, you know, and they're, in, they're even bigger in their chest, but they haven't lost range of motion. That's the key. You know, the alignment of their body, the way that they're, they're going about it, in the preliminary phases of this is key. It, it took really close to two years for Bryson just to get his body aligned properly, just to be able to start putting weight on it. So this is something that's been going on for a while. And it's just fascinating to watch because I think Brooks and Bryson are a little bit like oil and water. And I think Brooks in many ways, you know, when you go back was posting things, saying things, little jabs at Bryson to get into his head. And I think he did, but now I think Bryson is in Brooks's head and everybody else is on tour. You agree with that? I think that Bryson was able to do at the U S open legitimize so much of what's going on. And, you know, you, you heard some of the sighs and shrugs from people, but you also heard everyone saying, okay, this is, you know, maybe there's some legitimacy of this guy winning. And when he came out and had that first round at the Shriners, I know I thought to myself like, Oh man, is this just how life is going to be for the next year? Like not, and I'm not talking about the way that he went about it, but just that Bryson, is on another level. And he came back down to earth a little bit with it. I think that, you know, I think that guys are going to think about the way that Bryson's chosen and navigate the course and try to develop their own unique ways to do it and kind of try to be different. And, and I don't know if that means bulking up the same way that he does, or it might be like, Hey, I'm going to try to, you know, develop enough loft, or maybe I'm going to cut down my loft on my shot to hit a stinger that goes here at this course. You know, I think guys are just going to have to try to think outside the box more. And I think that that it's more of an X's and O's thing, as opposed to what we're talking about with Brooks, that's just, I'm going to get into the best shape possible that I'm going to be able, not just drive the ball as far as possible, but where a lot of people talk about where Brooks has been so successful is his ability at us opens and PGAs to hit through the rough yeah. in ways that guys can't do. 
And that's not what Bryson was really, I think, as much about as as much as kind of like me as a hacker. You know, I'll be on the tee and someone will say, why are you taking a driver instead of a, a three wood or or a hybrid? I'm like, because I know I can't really hit the ball that straight, but I'd rather be off to the rough as far down the fairway as possible. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's kind of the approach that Bryson took as opposed to what has made a guy like Brooks so successful that's been, hey, even if I'm in the rough, because I'm so strong, I can plow through this Shinnecock Hills rough better than anyone else. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's the bomb and gouge era. It has been. It's more um, streamlined now and understood, but it's been going this way for quite some time. And it's going to be fascinating. You know, 190 ball speed, that's the number now, right? You hit 190, you post it. I mean, now it's, you know, Bryson posted his first carry over 400. I mean, it's it, it's crazy stuff. I want to step away from golf just for a second because I know you're into other sports. Football, of course, uh, in full effect right now in the country. Who's your team? Do you got Giants, Jets, or is it someone else? Listen, it's like I, I would say thank God it's the Giants, even though that's one more game better than the Jets. But um, <laughs> at least it feels like they compete on a weekly basis. You know, I, I joke, not joke, it's serious. If Evan Ingram caught that, ball on this past Thursday night, the Giants beat the Eagles and the Giants are actually in first place in the NFC East right now. You know, it's a tough football year for for New York, but luckily I've become so involved in, you know, the football sphere and the fantasy football sphere and the the NFL trivia arena now that I just do, I, you know, football more than any other sport, I feel like I can turn on and I could watch any game and enjoy it. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, the NFL I, my wife thinks I have an illness that I can just sit down and watch any game and just be completely engulfed in it. And the NFL has trained my brain and even college to some degree, I can do that. But I, I got to make just a quick beef here about if there's one thing that annoys me more than anything in sports, this is the number one thing for me. It's the prevent defense. And I got to tell you, like, you know, you're up three last night and the team has to, the Cardinals have to drive, you know, 60 yards to get into field goal range. And there's 50 seconds left and they have one timeout and your corners are playing so far off that you basically are just saying, look, give us, we're giving you 10 yards. Well, they did that all the way for 60 yards, more or less and kick the field goal to tie. So basically to me, you're just saying we're okay with this. I would rather hit a ball out of bounds twice in a round, then watch my team play the prevent defense. I can't stand it. It never works. And yet we see it time and time again. What annoys you the most when you're watching your team? Oh, man. Well, in terms of prevent, I just think it has to be something that's done in the last minute, not the last three minutes. And I think too many teams make that mistake of letting the opposition come at least down a little bit. You mentioned the Giants. I mean, I go back to really the first Giants-Patriots Super Bowl. After Plaxico Burris scored the touchdown, the Patriots got the ball back, and the Giants sent a four-man pass rush instead of a three-man pass rush. And remember, this is when the Giants could put Justin Tuck, Michael Strahan, and OCU Minura on the line. And it was actually Jay Alford was the guy who had a big sack on Brady that knocked him back and basically ended that Super Bowl. So you got to put some pressure on the quarterback. What frustrates me the most about my team? Oh, man. Um, you know, I think that it's, uh, you know, the, the giants and, and how, how do I do this diplomatically here? Um, there's been, the offense has finally gotten better, but I, I think the play calling just frustrates you 
when, you know, certain guys are getting the ball in situations that I just don't think they should be getting the ball in. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's the classic, like I'll go back to the Tom Coughlin era of the giants. They used to run on like every second and 10. And that's just the stuff that drives you nuts. When they had Brandon Jacobs, who was great at the goal line, but couldn't really get any momentum for a long run. And you're just like, what, you know, why, why is it third and eight every play? So I, I think that if you don't have Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll or, you know, a select Andy Reid, a select few guys, your coach, most people would say that they're just so fed up with the play call. Well, Pete Carroll's a great coach. He's a defensive mind, but this is the Seahawks are one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And they'd be six and zero if they had any sense of, defense last night but that's neither here nor there and we could talk football all the time the season's long and uh, it'll be interesting to see how things transpire these professional sports leagues are doing such a terrific job with the way they are operating their business during this pandemic and it was really cool to see the pga tour jay monahan the team kind of get out there and lead the way and make all of this happen. I want to switch gears because you have a new show it's mm-hmm. hq trivia for the game Hall of Trivia. Tell me about it. People might remember HQ Trivia. It never went away. Uh, still, you know, the the phenomenon Scott Rogowski hosting uh, a few years ago. And, you know, at the time you could play every day, three o'clock, nine o'clock, uh, general trivia. And now what we're doing now is I'm the host of Hall of Trivia, which is specifically on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time, strategically placed right before Thursday night football. So nice. you have football on your mind. And it's basically we're doing uh, 10 questions each week. The way it's structured right now, a lot of it's uh, general football questions, kind of like football history questions. And then a little bit of what went on in the past week in the NFL, uh, perhaps fantasy driven in questions. You know, a lot of it's sort of like, I'm, listen, I don't know what the questions are yet, but Tyler Lockett, right, went off last night, 200 yards, three touchdowns. The question might be, you know, who has the most 200-yard, three-touchdown performances or go. something like that. Yeah. Uh, so that's – it's 10 questions. The way that we're doing it right now, there's a $2,500 cash prize that's split among whoever can survive those 10 questions – and uh, I have the pleasure of hosting it and asking people those trivia questions. Nice. And it's sponsored by Hall of Fantasy League, formerly the Crown League, and the Hall of Fame Resort and Entertainment Company, which is basically, you know, building up Canton right now into more than just a museum. All right. Well, since you're the new trivia king, let's. Uh, we thought we'd test your knowledge uh, of some, you know, golf trivia here. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs, use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, how many players at the Zozo Championship on Sunday 
we're chewing gum. <laughs> yeah, I would love to know how you how you confirm this in terms of the fact checkers for this, but I'm I'm gonna say <laughs> I'm gonna say four. You know, I don't know, but I know there's at least three, and it's growing because. Tiger was chewing gum at the Masters when he won. And then all of a sudden, Phil started chewing gum, right? These guys never chewed gum in their life playing golf, at least that I know of. And there's Cantley chomping away, chewing his gum on the way to win the Zozo Champion, his third win. What's going on here? Is this like the new thing that relaxes you? Is this their secret <laughs> chemical in there that's keeping him even balanced? Well, you know, we, what's going on? Know, hopefully gum was all that was being chewed on the course, uh, you know, <laughs> last week. But I think I, I played baseball growing up and part of the reason you were told to chew gum or chew sunflower seeds growing up was that if you're chewing, you're actually keeping, you're not blinking as much. It's kind of one of those weird fourth grade science fair facts that the more you're chewing, the more you're keeping your eyes open. So I think a lot of players like that as a way to almost keep them in rhythm, keep their focus on the course. That's why Derek Jeter was always chewing big bubble gum on the field. So I imagine that's part of it. But look, Tiger did it and he won, right? That's going to legitimize everything. I, know. I found it so funny last year on Halloween. We'll see this year. People in Tiger Woods costumes, gum was part of the costume. Like, you know, Tiger was around for over 20 years before that. And that was not part of a Tiger Woods costume before last year's Masters. So I think it goes hand in hand. And we could segue a little bit. I, I know we're going trivia here, but I, I think that you know, golf is experiencing part of the reason that I'm so enthusiastic about being in the golf journalism space is that golf is going into this sort of new school, um, new look environment with it, right? You have all these young players. I thought the U.S. Open was so beyond just Bryson. Matthew Wolf has taken a phone call on the first tee box, right? Think about when would you, and maybe it's because there were no fans, like, like there aren't, Cell phones allowed at Augusta National and a player is taking a call on the first tee. And we don't think twice about it. Right. Uh, John Pack, the top amateur, is wearing diamond stud earrings on the course. You would never see that years ago. And obviously the whole hoodie conversation that's been going on in golf and gum factors in a lot to that. It's just like, you know, you're going to do what makes you athletically comfortable on the course as opposed to just do what you're supposed to do. Yep. Not that's, that's very well put. I think you nailed it on the head. There is a transition going and it's long overdue. And, you know, these players that are on TV and on your phone help move that needle. So seeing, you know, Rory McIlroy wear a hoodie on Sunday, I think it's great. You know, it ruffles a lot of feathers, but you know what, this, this is a new era and we're moving forward and that dress and how they present themselves is a big part of what attracts that generation of kids that wouldn't have come to the game if it wasn't that way, like it was, say, you know, 10, 15, 30 years ago. Next question. How old was Tiger Woods when he got his first hole-in-one? Oh, man, this is one of those that, like, everyone everyone tweets about all the time. Uh, he was seven. He was eight. Oh, I was, I was like, yeah, I, think- I had eight on the tip of my tongue. And I said, go one year, <laughs> one year younger. Yeah, he probably hit the flag a couple of times when he was seven. Who has the most PGA Tour wins without ever winning a major? Without ever winning a major? Yeah, I would have had no PGA, idea the answer to this one. PGA Tour wins. Yeah. So it, I'm going to guess it's not a modern player based on what you're saying. No. 
now we're 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 sending me back to uh <laughs> do I yeah I'm just gonna tell you Harry okay. Cooper 31 wins without a major yeah like I would have never went there that might have been like not even my 15th you know, guess I, I'd love to know where in terms of worldwide wins where Colin Montgomery step you know stacks up there um but it's an interesting mm-hmm. one yeah it is last question in the trivia game this one is fascinating what man has won an event on the LPGA tour. This feels like something, something I should, I should know. And I'm embarrassed that I don't. So I'll, I'll let you say it. Sam Snead back in 1962. He played in the Royal Poinciana Plaza, Palm beach, Florida. Only man in the field, including 14 LPGA tour players. And here's the best part. He was three back to Mickey Wright going into the last round. Now I'm just, perplexed looking on wikipedia he won a pga tour event after that his 82nd event was 1965 at the greater greensboro open so he wasn't even done winning pga tour events when he went and did that (laughs) that's that's a fascinating one there like that one first off you could probably ask has a man ever won on the lpga tour and they're like Mm -hmm. what are you talking about no sam sneed back in 1962 down in down in florida only in florida this stuff this kind (laughs) of Stuff happens. I should have just said Bobby um, Briggs, just being the answer for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Who will win the twenty twenty one Masters? Um, you know, let's 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 do it. Let's go, Xander Shoffley. I know that's I know yes. that's gonna be the hot pick that people are gonna take, and I might change my mind when when I really get into if I want a fun pick. But um, you know, Xander's just. I mean, look at the way he's just been knocking on major doors. But he's another guy, I mentioned JT at the top, who needs to learn how to finish, right? Xander has four wins. And if you, you know, based on what you look at, he could easily have seven wins right now if he really wanted. He is really close. He's played there well. He likes Georgia, you know, he plays plays the tour, the tour championship well uh, in Atlanta. So, you know, Xander is certainly a good pick. I, you know, he's right there for me as well. You know, I kind of, I, yeah, if I, if I had to give you a sleeper, Kind of a sleeper. If a two-time champion could be a sleeper, it's Bubba. Um, he looked good this week. I tell you, Bubba, Bubba's playing good. He's really playing good. Seventh at the CJ Cup, fourth at the Zozo. He obviously knows a thing or two about Augusta National. I, I, he would be a, a a little bit of you know long shot with some odds, but I, I kind of like Bubba here in the first initial look uh, and putting some some value on then I would love to see Rory snap out of this, put four good rounds together, finish off the grand slam. I think that would be a, a tremendous story. Um, what would be a bigger story for the masters? Would it be Rory winning or Spieth winning? I think that, you know, I think it, I think it'd be Jordan Spieth winning because of the underdog story. That's kind of, and the comeback story and the sort of, you know, is this guy, does he still have something in him? I think if Rory won, people would, you know, there'd be a nice golf clap to, all right, completed the Grand Slam. This is something, you know, he should have done a few years ago. But I, I, look, Rory's got a lot to prove, right? I mean, if I am if I have it right, it's now been about a year on a calendar year because he won in China last year that he's actually, that you have to go back to his last win. So it, it's been a, it's been a little bit for Rory, for Rory. And you mentioned Bubba. I'll tell you what about Bubba that's always interested me is that he is a classic guy. Bubba has like 12 or 13, something around 12 wins on the tour. And he's won the travelers three times. He's won the masters twice. 
some of these guys just lock in on certain courses and that's where they that's where they make all their money for their whole career yeah it's true those are good points and i'm looking at the odds uh, right now and bryson of course is the favorite i think my pick is john rom uh, i like what john rom uh, is doing and he, I mean, he is Bryson hits it a mile. He's the, he's this most, he's got the most sizzle off the tee, but I think John Rahm is the best driver of the ball and, in the game right now. John Rahm and, is playing outstanding on ch- in challenging conditions, right? When you look at what he did at the Memorial, yeah. what, what he was doing at the BMW, uh, that to me jumps out that, you know, he almost needs another U S open right now, because if you threw out three U S yeah. open courses, he'd win one. Would you want Bryson and Brooks in the final group battling it out, or would you rather see like a a JT Xander? I think the JT Xander would be more aesthetically pleasing. I think that uh, Bryson Brooks would be a good storyline for golf. You know that Master Sunday is going to be really interesting, right? They're starting early, so they don't run into football. Um, it's kind of the the best chance that golf has to capture everybody to capture the a, a huge audience in the fall and right now right baseball could end tomorrow the sports world is football and golf right now folks like i don't know if people quite realize that we don't know when basketball is coming back we don't know when hockey is coming back we don't know when baseball is coming back it's going to be football and golf for a while and you know who knows where we'll be sitting in the winter if it'll just be mostly golf that weekend is is going to be nuts for sports it's or my brain's already on overdrive right now i mean but that weekend is just going to be crazy and of course we haven't even talked about dustin johnson uh sounds like he's recovering uh from covid hopefully we'll be back 100 percent. and oh by the way how was he playing before he left well he got second at the pga won the northern trust second at the bmw won the tour championship six at the u.s open yeah he's um he he's traveling along and, and the thing with dj dj has figured out how to play Augusta. I think he's in a good spot, finished second last year. His putter, okay, and what he's been doing there has been the difference. It turned around at the PGA. It turned the corner. I mean, he went from negative, negative, negative stroke scan to positive, and it was that way until he stopped playing after the U.S. Open. So if he can come back and have that putter working the way that it was, I think given what he's learned at Augusta, I'm going to say for me, Rom and DJ, I know I'm going way out on a limb here, are my two favorites with Bubba with some more odds on the back end. That's the way I see it. That's the way I'm going to play it. It's going to be fascinating to uh, to watch. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, Jeff, to, uh, to talk about it yeah. with you. But I've got two okay. more for you here before we go. We call this uh, true or false. So here comes a statement, true or false. Russell Wilson is a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. It is true right now that in this moment, I would rather have Russell Wilson <laughs> yeah. than Aaron Rodgers. I will not say, I will not say, I definitely not say that, Aaron, uh, that, that Russell Wilson is better in, in terms of the cumulative career. I think Aaron Rodgers, okay. um, you know, what, what he was doing at his peak and the fact that he's still doing it now, you know, right. I mean, I think, uh, I think Rodgers is roughly 38. Uh, 37, 38, and Russell Wilson's 31, that um, the longevity of Aaron Rodgers has been incredible. And I'm saying that, look, I'm saying Russell Wilson is a better quarterback right now, despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers looked like Joe Montana in 1985 over the weekend. Um, You know, he looked outstanding. But Russell Wilson, what he does on, you know, both with his legs and with his arm is incredible. I thought that was so fun to just watch him and Kyler going back and forth, almost mirror images, right? It felt like Kyler's that that short running, uh, scrambling quarterback with a quick release about eight years younger 
than Russell Wilson, kind of where Russell Wilson was maybe in 2012, 2013-ish. And yeah, I, I mean, I think if, if you had a chance to listen, uh, Russell Wilson was on Bill Simmons' pod, the BS podcast uh, last week. And I was just listening to the way that he keeps track of his body. And he's, he said he puts a million dollars a year into recovery. And he's got a full-time trainer, a full-time masseuse, a full-time chef, full-time, uh, all of these things. He's got two hyperbaric chambers in his house, him and Sierra. He said, it's not just him. They're working Sierra also. And I just thought it's amazing. Yeah. I want to talk about uh, someone who Bryson can take a page out of their playbook. I mean, Russell Wilson is literally sculpting his body to, he says, <laughs> play till age 45. So the, the, the yeah. shape that, you know, and I'm watching him frustrated, right? After they, uh, after he throws the pick in overtime yesterday and like, this guy is putting in, like we said, a million of his own dollars in work to get this done. Of course, he's frustrated that he's he's going to lose his first game of the season. He thinks he should be going 16 and 0 every year. Um, I think he's better right yeah. now. Daniel Jones will have a better career than Sam Darnold. <laughs> this is where I have to, right? I have to, uh, I have to go. With, there's only one answer I can give here, right? I think it's true, but not because Daniel Jones is a better player than Sam Darnold as much as he's being put in a better situation. Um, I think that, and, and look, Giants fans were ready to tank for Trevor Lawrence a few weeks ago, and I think Daniel Jones has had a, a few good weeks since. He has good mechanics. He needs to have better awareness. He fumbles way too much. You know, He needs to have better pocket presence. But I think that the Giants as a team, look, if Saquon Barkley was healthy, they have weapons now You know, receiving that he's using. They have weapons... They, they would have weapons in the backfield. They're trying to get the offensive line better. I just think that team is, is headed toward a better point. Sam Darnold, the only good thing that can happen to Sam Darnold is if the Jets draft Trevor Lawrence and trade Sam Darnold. And he almost ends up having like an Alex Smith sort of renaissance where he goes to a second team and you're like, all right, this guy was actually picked where he should have been picked. He's got the he's got the talent. He just didn't wasn't put in the right position because the Jets are awful. And it's really it's almost hard to even watch them on a week to week basis. And we're talking about Adam Gase, who's not exactly and that offensive staff that isn't exactly calling plays to set Sam Darnold up to win. Last question. Would you rather chunk a chip or top a drive? Oh, man. Um, which one, which one has that, which one feels worse to you? Well, topping a drive is more embarrassing, right? Because you start <laughs> looking around like who just saw me do that. But, but I'm going to say the right thing from a logistics perspective that topping and drive is better because you can still make up the hole. You know, if, there you go. If you flub a chip and you are still, you know, if you're, let's say, seven feet off the green and you chunk a chip to two feet off the green, you're still holding whatever wedge you have. You're still worried about where to land that shot in the green. That This is what I was saying, why Phil needs to lay up on the par fives. At least you can still maybe get up and, you know, put yourself in a position to get up and down after topping that drive. <laughs> I love it. I love the, I love the detail but, of, but right, of why top. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. Hey, Jeff, uh, I appreciate it. Jeff Eisenband, check him out. Uh, the HQ Trivia app, right? That's the app. Yep, Hall of Trivia on HQ, Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time in or on the HQ Trivia app. Awesome, man. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. We'll Thank do it again. Thank you so much.